Institute's Rambling Verser Podcast, episode 31. Elementary Dare, what's your name? Welcome to Story Institute's Random Verser Podcast. We apologize for, for yet another delay in last week's podcast. It got toward the end of the week, and I kind of realized, that, hey, we didn't turn anything out. So uh, this week, uh, we are going to just continue where, uh, where our plot line left off, and uh, we'll begin this week with a quote, and uh, there will be a theme to this week. Uh, it will be about Sherlock Holmes and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Mediocracy knows nothing higher than itself, but talent instantly recognizes genius. So that was from Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes, Valley of Fear, uh, written in 1915. So uh, I've been listening to some of these iTunes U uh, audio books, and you know, they're, they're from, they're from uh, Litigo, University of South Florida, I believe. And it was one of those things that, that I got in an email saying, hey, we were offering these, and I just put on hold the uh, the Audible subscription that I had just because I was waiting for this iPad to come out. And I wanted to make sure that we were saving money but also not, not, not spending it uh, on, on things that related to some of the same things that we would be uh, – we'd be able to get for free. So when uh, with this lit to go, this University of South Florida um, series came out, I said, well, well, let's see what's there. And one of the things that, that kind of caught my eye was The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. And it's interesting because I had forgotten how much Sir Arthur Conan Doyle pulls out some of the characteristics of a great storyteller on the side of Sherlock Holmes, not necessarily as, as the author himself, but the character of Sherlock Holmes kind of adds that, that genius to each of the stories. You can be omniscient without, uh, without having a disembodied voice uh, throughout the story. In one of the stories, I believe it was Adventure Number Four, the Boscombe Valley Mystery, uh, I don't know whether it was Sir Arthur Conan Doyle himself or the narrator or a little bit of both that kind of made me sit back and say, you know, I really miss these type of stories where where the author is kind of leading to a certain point but has this character that's actually bigger than himself. Uh, Do- uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle actually tried to kill off Sherlock Holmes at least once, but uh, popular demand had him bring him back. So, um, you know, within this uh, Boscombe Valley uh, mystery, there are things that you know, anyone else would say uh, the, the, the young, uh, young man in the story actually committed the crime. But Sherlock Holmes made sure he never gave up and, and said that there was something else, something, something deeper that, that everybody else was missing. He actually had to go there and, and figure out what happened and what possibly could have happened given the situation. Uh, Sherlock Holmes gives credit to the character when nobody else, uh, nobody else would have given that character credit for being as smart as, uh, as Holmes had, had indicated he was. One of the lines that kind of indicates uh, this, uh, this attempt to dig in deeper to, to what's been going on uh, is, is toward the beginning when Holmes is just getting to the location of the crime. And he says, besides, we may chance to hit uh, upon some 
some other obvious fact, which may have been by no means obvious to Mr. Lestrade. You know me too well to think that I am boasting when I say that I shall either confirm or destroy his theory by means which he is quite incapable of employing or even understanding. The part that I find very interesting with with Holmes as a character is he pretty much says, you know, I, I know that this is probable, but I'm going to go with what's possible instead. And I think as writers, this is our goal, is to not do what's probable, but do, to do what's possible. And at times, it's to reach further in and pull out some of the impossible aspects. And, you know... With, with technology these days, we can publish in so many different ways, and we just need to find that avenue that best fits our style. So some, for some of us, it's actually getting a physical book out there. For others, it's developing a web page, and for yet others, it's, it's uh, just sharing that, that inspiration with friends, relatives, whatnot. And then we choose our medium in which to do so. Some of us may choose a poem to express the intricacies in which we are trying to, to delve deeper into. Some of us, the short story or you know more of a, a mystery-type aspect, and others, novel, novella, um, whatnot. But you know, we each have that, uh, that story in us. It's just a matter of finding where it is and how do we get to it. Toward the end of the story, actually more three-fourths of the way through, uh, there's a dialogue in which Holmes kind of reveals what's going on and, and what, what specific clues he's, he's searched for. Uh, to, Holmes, to Holmes, as I could see by his eager face and peering eyes, very many other things were to read upon the trampled grass. He ran around like a dog who was picking up a scent and then turned upon my companion. What, what did you go into the pool for? He asked. I fished about with a rake. I thought there might be some weapon or other trace. But how on earth... Oh, tut-tut, I have no time. That left foot of yours with its inward twist is all over the place. A mole could trace it, and there it vanishes among the reeds. Oh, how simple it would all have been had I been here before they came like a herd of buffalo and wallowed all over it. Here is where the party with the lodge digger came, and here they have covered all tracks for six or eight feet around the body. But here are the three separate tracks of the same feet. He drew out a lens and laid down upon his waterproof to have a better view. Talking all the time, rather to himself than to us, these are young McCarthy's feet. Twice he was walking, and once he ran swiftly, so that the soles are deeply marked and the heels hardly visible. That bears out his story. He ran when he saw his father on the ground. Then here are the father's feet, as he paced up and down. What is this, then? Is this the butt-end of a gun, as the son stood listening? And this? Ha-ha! What we have here, tiptoes, tiptoes. Square, too. Quite unusual boots. They come, they go, they come again, and, of course, this was for the cloak. Now, where did they come from? You know, as, as a reader, you have to wonder how Holmes actually picks up on these things. How did he know that somebody was tiptoeing? How did he know that, that the sun ran or, or walked uh, just by looking at the footprints? These are hints that we can leave behind in our stories to kind of not only engage the reader, but let them go back and, and look for the clues after they've, they've read the entire story. These little clues can be added before or after uh, you finish the ending. In fact, you know, 
Chad Corey and I talked in one other episode about foreshadowing, and these type of things can lead to some of that foreshadowing, sticking in the details that may not make sense now, but when everything kind of comes together, it makes makes very clean sense to the reader, but to you as the author as well. The last thing on this episode of Sherlock Holmes' uh, story that, that I'd like to add is, is, is think about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's uh, uh, impact on an ethical behavior uh, and, and really read how that story ends because you know for a, a man who was partnering with law enforcement he ended up acting a little bit differently than I would have expected so one of your writing prompts for this week is to actually write your own little mystery create a character that is in the essence of Sherlock Holmes where you don't have to have the storyteller be omniscient or you don't have to have the disembodied voice come in and fill in details but have your character help fill in the details for you just by picking up things that that the normal individual may not see in a particular area uh, you know, do this in a way that's not not daunting for the reader. Do this in a way that it doesn't distract from what the reader is, is trying to get out of it, which is really, uh, really a relaxing point, uh, something that they can uh, just just kind of get away from their everyday life from. But in the end, say, uh, you know what? I'd like to read more about that character. <laughs> So I think since we kind of missed a week there, I think we'll we'll go right into the short story and poetry topics of the week and kind of skip over that poem. Uh, next week, I think we'll we'll bring in a couple poems instead of the short stories. And uh, uh, we hope you join us back here next week. So the short story topic for the week is Selected Stories Unravel. The book has sat on the shelf since you were three. Okay, maybe four. However, that book has always been there. You remember when you were ten opening the cover once, uh, once, and your father stood over you and asked where the book belonged. You quickly put it back. You managed to see a few words inside the cover. Those words have struck you to this day. Now, as you sort through your father's belongings, shortly after his recent passing, you remember them. What were those words? Who is this character? What was the book? Why did your father leave it on the shelf for so long? Were there other books on the shelf? Was the character able to read the other books? Were there other times when the character got close to finding out who was inside or what was inside? Think about the special times in your life and reflect on the stories they can tell. Connect with your parents and remember the stories that they shared. What plot lines did they leave out? Did you find out any of them later in life? Realize the impact of the storyline as you write and expand on the ideas and meaning of the book itself. Decide on your story and write. Post it here at storyinstitute.com or share it elsewhere, but write and enjoy. And the poetry topic, since it was recently Easter, is an Easter bunny or day. A hop-hop-hopping day that is celebrated by many worldwide for many different reasons. Easter is recognized commercially as a day of the Easter bunny. Children go to malls of many shapes and sizes to see and take pictures with the happy hopper. The Easter Bunny is a rabbit who hides eggs for children to find and provides baskets of candy to munch on during the day celebrating new life. The children that partake in the candy definitely receive a new life as they mirror the bunny and bounce around the house, the yard, across the lawns and flower beds with the recently blooming tulips. Whatever your path you go down for this poem, stick strongly to the words that connect you most to the beliefs and experiences you share. Is the spirit of the holiday resurrected 
from your childhood memories are the ones that developed as an adult. Have you sat on the lap of the Easter Bunny and wondered how he could bring such wonderful candy and where's factory might be? You know, Santa builds toys in the North Pole, but where is the candy created? Either way, choose your words well. Remember, poems are simple, but have all the power of a story in a little teeny tiny place. Post it here at Story Institute or share it elsewhere, but write and enjoy. Well, that about does it for this week's episode of Story Institute's Rambling Verser. We hope you enjoyed this short episode, and uh, we hope you find more of the content either within the the show notes themselves or by going to our website at www.storyinstitute.com. Feel free to send us an email to ramblingverser at storyinstitute.com. Give us a call at 615-431-RIT, that's 9748 or uh, stop by our forums and uh, post one of your uh, topics or, or short stories or poems or uh, novel ideas uh, right on the site itself. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to seeing you again. In the meantime, remember to imagine, enhance, and grow your stories.